0: I want to speak today on the subject, An Invitation from the King. An Invitation from the King. I'm going to read several verses from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, and verse 1. And the Word of God says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables. It said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son.'" and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. And they were not willing to come. Again he sent out other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatted cattle are killed. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it. And went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants and treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. And he said to his servants, the wedding is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came to see the guests, He saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And the man was speechless. And then the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot and take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Many are called, but few are chosen. You may be seated. We have in the text today what is called a parable. A parable is simply a story told with the purpose of conveying and graphically portraying meaning and truth. Para means alongside, are closely related to. And Jesus introduces this story by saying the kingdom of heaven is closely related to. It is alongside, it is like this. The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God refers to God's domain and God's righteous rule over all things, but especially over those who honor him as king and over his church. So Jesus says, place this story alongside the kingdom of heaven so that you may better understand how the kingdom operates. In other words, the kingdom of heaven operates like this. The first character we meet in the story is a certain king. Democracy is historically a relative youngster on the scene of time. Monarchies have been around much, much longer. In ancient times, the word and the will of the king was absolute. The king had control of everything and access to everything in the kingdom. And all of his subjects were obligated to obey his every command and pay his every tribute. This man was not just another man. He was the king. And the king had a son for whom he had arranged a marriage. And when I hear arranged a marriage, I don't hear arrange an event, arrange the ceremony. I hear arranged the marriage and then arranged the marriage event. In other words, it seems to me uh, that the king selected a bride for his son and then he arranged for the wedding. Many young people get into bad marriages because they think of only one or two things when they select their mate. That is, if they think about anything at all. (laughs) Parents are inclined to think of other things. Can I get a witness? Parents are not driven by passion or by sexual attraction, though they certainly understand passion and sexual attraction, but parents think about Educational and social and religious and economic compatibility. Amen? Amen. Parents think about family background. And they think about emotional maturity. Now I'm inclined to think that uh, what the things that parents think about need to be thought about by people as they select their mates. I said the things that parents think about ought to be thought about when people select their mates. More than half of the marriages end in, in divorce. And that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> but this thing, this king, I think, had selected a good wife for his son. And his son had gratefully and joyously accepted the choice that his father had made, So the king then began to make arrangements for the wedding and to put together a proposed guest list for the wedding and uh, for the wedding feast. This was a big event. The marriage of the king's son would determine the destiny of the kingdom. It would provide another heir to the throne. It would stabilize and strengthen the role of the royal family in the kingdom so the king sat down to arrange for the wedding and to determine who was going to be invited the king was at the top of the social ladder thus he didn't have to worry about overshooting his economic status or overshooting his social clout in certain social circles There's a concern and a lot of strategizing to get invited by the right people to the right events. Somebody help me today. But one would think that everybody would be honored to be invited to this wedding and the wedding feast that was offered by the king. But in this case, it seems that everybody invited received two notices they received an advance notice and then after receiving the advance notice they received another notice when uh, the wedding was prepared and the time of the wedding had come it was not as if they were surprised and could not attend because of inadequate notice they had more than enough enough notice uh, to clear Their schedules, to arrange their schedules so that they could attend the event. But Jesus said when the king's servants went out to invite the people to the wedding, they would not come. They were not willing to come. It's hard to comprehend. It's hard to understand. It's hard for me to delve into their unwillingness to come to the wedding. This was the king. It was going to be at the king's palace. The king was preparing sumptuous food that they would not normally have. They would have food for days to eat. They would not have to labor for it. They would not have to pay for it. They would not have to prepare it. People in that day were on a constant quest for food. And meat was a negligible part of a poor man's diet. Most people ate grains and vegetables, but very little meat, if any. As a matter of fact, meat was reserved for festive times among the common people. And many times people had to leave their homes and travel to other lands and to other countries and to other nations just to get food. For every household was responsible for its own food supply. Had no supermarkets. They had no corner stores. They had no refrigerators. They had no freezers to preserve their food. And the king's diet differed greatly from the diet of common people. And here an opportunity is provided for them to eat foods that they normally only dreamed about. And as now, understand it, the wedding feast was not just one meal, limited in time, but sometimes the wedding feast went on for days and for days and a days. But to the king's amazement, they were not willing to come to the wedding feast. So the king sent out other servants, telling uh, those who were invited. The king said, listen, tell them that I prepared my dinner, my oxen, the fatted cattle are killed. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. Now notice, he sent his servants to tell him this. He did not send his soldiers to tell them. He could have sent his soldiers and brought everybody to the wedding, but he wanted it to be an act of their will. And he wanted them to respond out of love. And he wanted them to respond out of respect. But they were busy, one with his farm, another with his business, The underlying fact is that they just did not respect the king. And they did not feel that they should submit to any request that he made unto them. They were so adamant in their refusal that the next time the king sent servants to them, they rudely and brutally mistreated his servants and ultimately they even killed the servants that he had sent to them. They were not just rejecting the feast. They were rejecting, were rejecting the king. And they were rejecting his authority to rule over them. So Jesus says that the king was furious when he heard about what they had done to his servants. And he sent his soldiers And he sent his armies and they killed those men that had murdered his servants and burned their city to the ground. No king could tolerate continual disrespect and rebellion. I said no king could tolerate continual disrespect and rebellion or else he would soon have no kingdom. A kingdom is where a king rules and a king who does not rule literally has no kingdom so after bringing down judgment on those who had slain his servants the king then announced the wedding is ready the feast is ready but those who were invited are not worthy sometimes you need to hold your head high enough and Stick your shoulder, your, your, your chest out far enough and square your shoulders up and back enough so that people continually refuse your offer for friendship and your offer for fellowship. You're not just dithering around and pleading and hanging around. Please be my friend. You've got to hold your head high enough to say, well, I guess he or she is not worthy of my friendship. And of a relationship with me. And so the king in this parable is the king of the universe, the almighty God. The king in the parable represents God. The son of the groom represents Jesus Christ, the son of God. The bride in this parable is represented by the church of Jesus Christ. For Ephesians 5 and 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, and that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and Without blemish and so Paul says uh, marriage is kind of like Jesus and the church and husbands ought to love their wives like Christ loved the church for the church is the bride of Jesus Christ the wedding feast itself had to do with the nature of what Christ has provided for us said so the wedding feast has to do with what Christ has provided for us. Look at your name and say the wedding feast is what Jesus Christ has provided for us. It's a feast. Should not be looked on as primarily an obligation or a responsibility or a drudgery or a drag. Living for the Lord ought be considered, and I'll tell you why in a moment, ought to be considered a feast. Some people drag through their spiritual life, they'll walk with the Lord as if their teeth are being pulled out one by one and their fingernails are being pulled out and their toenails, they complain and go negative and talk about the pain and the misery and the sickness and the trouble that they face and that they go through living uh, for the Lord but living for the Lord is a feast and what the Lord has provided for us is a free feast not a feast that we have to pay to receive not a sacrifice, not a high price to be paid, not some code of of, of behavior or meritorious conduct that we have to be involved in to be invited to uh, the feast. It is a feast. It is a joyous, wonderful, delicious feast. Clap your hands and praise the Lord. The Bible says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good blessed is the man who trusts in him oh fear the Lord you his saints for there is no want to those who fear him the young lions do lack and suffer hunger but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing tell your neighbor it's a feast the psalmist in Psalm 23 in verse 5 says he prepares a table before me oh I started to run on that one he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Don't worry about having enemies. Bring all your enemies around. I want them to see God with a napkin over his arm. Bringing you a meal. Taking, preparing the table before you in the very presence of your... All they can do is look. Hallelujah. Oh, bless the name of the Lord. The feast consists of all of the privileges of being a member of the body of Jesus Christ. Listen to this, 2 Peter 1 and 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and by virtue. By which... We have been given exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Listen, it's a feast. We are so connected to God, and God is so connected to us that the Bible says that we are partakers of the divine nature we can tap into the divine wisdom the divine power we have the privilege of feasting on the things of God and enjoying the might and the power of God in our lives look as a neighbor and say it's a feast. a feast the feast is to partake of the divine nature of God the feast is to be a partaker of the new covenant we've got a new contract We've got a new covenant with Almighty God. And listen, if God gives you a contract, you've got a contract that is to your advancement, for your good, and for your blessing. And also, it's a feast because it is comprised of the forgiveness of God. The Bible says he'll take our sins and forgive cast them into a sea of forgetfulness and that he'll remember them no more. Aren't you glad God chooses not to remember your sins? So many laden and burdened by guilt, so burdened by the cares of life and by the things and the mistakes that they've made in their lives, but God says it's all forgiven. I know everything about you, but I'm forgiving everything you've ever done that displeased me and that was against my will and my plan. The feast is the favor of God. I love to say that favor is worth more than anything you could ever have. If you've got God's favor, you can get anything else that God would have you to receive, that God would bless you with its favor. It's it's a good conscience, isn't it wonderful to have a clean conscience? Amen. The devil tries to condemn you. People will sometimes to make you feel guilty and make you feel low and make you feel unworthy. But when the Lord comes into our lives, He purges us from an unclean, dead conscience and shares with us the joy and the life of Almighty God. Uh, the feast is to be a partaker. Of the promises of God how many of you know the promises of God are sure the promises of God are yay and amen if God says it God is going to do it and when you are a child of God it's a feast because you can partake of the promises of God hallelujah it's a feast because it's access to the throne of grace aren't you glad you got access to the throne of grace we have not a high priest who cannot be touched by the feeling of our infirmities but who was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin and therefore we can come boldly to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help you can go to the throne of grace God will extend you mercy for sins that are past and he'll give you help that you will not commit the same sins or other sins in the future you'll find grace to help Clap your hands and praise God. (laughs) It's a feast because it is the comfort and the presence and the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost. It's a feast. It's not a deprivation. It's not a drag. It's not a struggle. The Lord says, listen, this is a feast. It's a joyous feast. It's material and physical possessions and provisions. For the Bible says in Matthew six thirty-three, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. But not only is it provision, but it's also providential involvement in our earthly pursuits. For Romans 8 and 28 says, for we know that all things work together for good, to them that love the Lord, to them who are the called according to his purpose somebody ought to be getting glad in here because it's a feast oh don't let the devil turn your mind away from the fact that it's a feast and make you feel bad make you feel low, make you feel depressed, when you think about the fact that you've been invited to the feast, you have everything to rejoice about and be glad about It's a feast because it's freedom from fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. And the psalmist said, Yea, though I walk through the valley and through the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When you're going through trouble and going through distress you can walk in courage and without fear because God himself is right there walking beside you the feast is everlasting life does anybody in here have everlasting life God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but shall have everlasting life oh bless the name of God it's a feast it's a feast because we have everlasting life. Oh yes, the grave stands in the way, but the grave for the believer is just a doorway. It's not a destination. It's just a dropping off place where you drop that body off for a little while. And later on, you're gonna come back and pick it up, but it's gonna be a resurrection body. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And, and, and so you're not in for some long cold slumber uh, in the ground When, when your body and your spirit are separated your spirit goes back to God your body goes in the grave for a little while but the trump of God is going to sound and the dead in Christ are going to rise and spirit and body will be reunited and forever you'll be in the presence of almighty God somebody ought to clap your hands and praise God Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 and 8, we are well pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And then Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And 1 Thessalonians 4, and 16 says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, And with the voice of an archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first those that are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus shall we always be with the Lord therefore comfort one another in these words or with these words listen if you can be comfortable facing death you can be comfortable facing anything so the Lord says, I want you to be comfortable. I don't want you to walk in fear. God is our refuge and God is our strength. He's a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, will not we fear though the earth be removed and the mountains be cast into the midst of the sea. Give the Lord a hand. Praise, you. Praise God. Thank God. A little while. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to dig into this a little bit and get, get along the way here. Psalm 103, verse 1, lets us know that it is a feast. Psalm 103, and verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Come on, say that. All of his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from destruction. Who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like an eagle it is a feast my mouth is satisfied with good things my youth is renewed like an eagle Uh, my sicknesses and my diseases are healed my iniquities are forgiven bless the Lord and forget not all of his benefits Uh, I, I just feel like taking a praise break and thanking God for the feast hallelujah stop talking about it's a hard way it's a tough way stop talking about your burdens about your worries about your cares stop talking about how rough you're having it when you think of the goodness of Jesus and all he has done for you your soul ought to cry out hallelujah thank God thank God thank God thank God Tell three people it's a feast. It's a feast. (laughs) I, I just go, that's the short list. That's the short list. I just thought I'd go through the short list of the good things the Lord has provided for us so we will know how blessed we are, how good God has been to us and what's involved in the feast that the Lord has provided. The old folk used to sing, come over here. The table is spread and the feast of the Lord is going on. Oh, I got to move on. I, I've got to move on. But, but that's the feast. That's the feast that the king sent his servants to invite them to attend. Well, you might want to know who are the servants and uh, who do the servants represent? Well, the servants who extended the invitation are the men and women of God. Of the Old Testament. They're the leaders and the prophets of the Old Testament, but also they are Jesus Christ Himself. They are the 70 that Jesus sent out to speak the things of God throughout uh, the Holy Land. They are the disciples of Jesus Christ. Uh, the servants are even the preachers of the gospel and the saints who witness for Jesus Christ uh, today. Listen, don't get mad. At me, I'm just bringing the message from the King who, who wants you to come to the feast. Uh, don't don't get mad at me. I'm just bringing the message that the King gave me. I'm just sharing what the King told me uh, to say. Don't get mad at the mailman for bringing you a bill. He didn't write the bill. The bill came from somebody else. He's just bringing it. Don't don't get mad at somebody who delivers a a letter that might call you to court and, and, and accuse you of a crime or of an infraction the mailman is not calling you to court he's just bringing the letter from the judge that's calling you uh, to court with just the mailman just the messenger just the preachers and though all these servants of the Lord did their work well and issued the invitation their invitation was rejected and many of them who brought the invitation were killed hmm but the king, because the king represents God. It wasn't the son, because the son represents Jesus Christ. It, it was not the servants, because the servants were just bringing the message. It was not the feast, because it was a feast that was beyond anything that they ever could have imagined. But they rejected the invitation and killed the servants. Well, who do those represent who killed the servants and rejected? their invitation. Well, that represents ancient Israel uh, and their leaders. It represents not only ancient Israel, but it also represents humanity in general. Uh, But beyond representing ancient Israel and humanity uh, in general, it also represents any person or any group that considers God's invitation to be an insignificant thing. If you're here today and you consider the things of God to be insignificant, to be unimportant, something that you can neglect and ignore, not give your attention to, then this message is including you in those who rejected the invitation that was offered to them. And so the anger of the king represents the anger of a righteously indignant God. How many of you know God has every right to be mad at us? God has every right to be upset with us. God has every right to be displeased with us. Not only has he offered us the feast, but it is in him that we live and move and have our being. It's he that has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture, and we ought to be entering into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise, but instead so many times we've turned our backs on him we've abused his name and his record we have uh, taken the blessings that he provides, and we've never given so much as a thank you to God God has every right to be upset with us so the coming of the soldiers to kill those who did not respond to the king and rebel against the king represents the righteous judgments of God against those who reject him God's judgments against those who reject him are righteous judgments. Can I preach today? I'm just the messenger. Look at your neighbor and say, he's just the messenger. Mm. Luke 13, 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. The one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. The chicken, seeing the hawk of the eagle flying overhead exposes her body, spreads her wings and says to her little chicks, come and hide under my wings if anything happens it'll be me and not you come and hide but the little chicks would say no we're not going to do it we'd rather be out here on our own we'd rather be out here by ourselves we'd rather do our own thing and take our chances with the whole and Jesus said your house is left to you desolate in the year or 70 AD in the year 70 AD the Roman emperor Titus came with his soldiers his army And he destroyed Jerusalem and burned the city of Jerusalem to the ground. Listen to this message from the Lord. It's in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God is against all ungodliness. And all unrighteousness, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, neither were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened, Perse- professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God to an image made like corruptible man. Verse 24, therefore, God has given them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Verse 28, and even as they did not retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. He gave them up, he gave them up, and he gave them over to a debased man To those things, to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents undiscerning, untrustworthy unloving, unforgiving unmerciful who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them God has every right to be upset and the Bible says in Proverbs 29 and 1 he who is often rebuked and hardens his neck Will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. Aren't you glad God sends His messengers before He sends His soldiers? I, I said, You ought to be glad that God sends His messengers before He sends His servants. He always sends. Yeah, his, his servants before he sends his soldiers. I beg your pardon. I'm glad that he sends his messengers and his servants before he sends his soldiers. Matthew 22 and 8. The king said to his servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways. And as many as you find, everybody, I don't care who they are, invite them to the wedding. So the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good, high and low, rich and poor, had a record, uh, had an addiction, had a problem. They found them all, both bad and good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Those who rejected the invitation were rejected. Israel, who rejected Jesus, was herself rejected. And a general call to everybody else was made. God, uh, before the time of Jesus, dealt with the Jews, and they were the instrument and vehicle of his revelation to men. But when they rejected Jesus, uh, the followers of Jesus Christ and God the father of Jesus Christ said whosoever will let him come and drink of the water of life freely those who refuse the things of God those who refuse the invitation to the wedding feast of God must not assume that God's going to wait around till they get ready uh, they must not assume that they're going to be invited back At some later time, there are others who will joyously accept the invitation. Listen, don't you feel like you're so special? Don't you feel like you are so much? God will take a pimp, a dope, a dick, a prostitute off the street, bring them in the church, clean them up, and use them to bless his work and to carry forth the work of his kingdom and do more than you ever thought about doing for the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1 26 says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God had chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God have chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing, the things that are that no flesh could glory in his presence. God can take nothing and do more than he can do with you if you are rebellious in his will. Unwilling to submit to God. Are you all still there? I pray that there will be many who will accept the invitation to the feast. I pray that when the altar call is made, you are being invited to the feast, not to a drudgery, not to a hardship, but you are being invited to the feast. Everyone who accepted the invitation to the feast was provided a wedding garment. Look at your neighbor and say, everybody who was invited to the feast was given a wedding garment. They were to put off their everyday clothing, their old rags and their stuff, and they were to put on the wedding garment. In that day it was an insult to the host who had made every provision for those who would want to attend that they might have a wedding garment, that they might put it on. And so it was an insult to the host for this man to come in and not put on the wedding garment because the host had made every provision for him to change. The host had made every provision for him to be acceptable. This man who would not put on the wedding garment is the symbol of those who want to accept Christ, but who will not allow Christ to change them. I said there are so many folk who want to accept Christ, but they are not willing to allow Christ to change them. 1 Corinthians five seventeen says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away, but behold, behold, all things are become new. But there are some folk who say, yes, I'm going to accept Christ, but all things are not going to become new. They're going to be just like they were before. Even though I'm accepting, according to my understanding, Jesus Christ. Second Timothy 2.19, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Everybody. God accepts us as we are. <laughs> But he loves us too much to leave us as we were. Oh, look at your name and say, God accepts us as we are. But he loves us too much to leave us as we are. First Corinthians 6 and 9 says, 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, just a messenger. Do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom? Of God, be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners. It's not these people that that uh, are, are rejected. It is their lifestyle. It is their behavior. It is the things. That they are involved in God and 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 the Lord brings us out in verse 11 he says and such were some of you but you were washed but you were sanctified but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God God does not care what you were but when you come to God God washes you up puts on a clean garment And you're able to walk in the power, the righteousness, and the goodness of Almighty God. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, then God can free you from sin and help you walk uprightly in his will. Clap your hands and give praise to God. Well, let's take just a few moments to find out what this wedding garment represents. What is this? wedding garment since we know that the king represents God we know that that king would not look on the outward appearance because God looks at the heart though men look on the outward appearance the Lord looks at the heart and so the Lord looks at the heart and the mind and, and, and Paul described the wedding garment when he talked about Jesus in Philippians 2.5 let this mind being you which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it proper to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took the form of a servant, coming in the likeness of man, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and he became obedient unto death. So the wedding garment is humility, and it is obedience, and when Jesus submitted himself to God in humility and obedience, the Bible says, God has highly exalted him and given him a name that's above every name. That is the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Christ is Lord of all. And so when you have the mind of Christ, you come to God clothed in humility and you come clothed in obedience. But you also come clothed in righteousness. Everybody say righteousness. For Revelation 19 and 8 says, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Your righteous life is uh, your robe. It's it's your wedding garment, your life of righteousness. Your are obeying the will of God and walking in the way of God. That is your righteousness. Uh, Romans 13 and 12 says, Let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And let us walk properly as during the day, not in revelry, not in drunkenness, not in lewdness or lust, not in strife, not in envy, but put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Listen, you are putting on Jesus. Look at your neighbor and say, Jesus is my wedding garment. Hallelujah! The whole armor of God is your wedding garment. I wish I had time to say this, but praise is your garment. For Isaiah 61 and 3 says, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Does anybody have on the garment of praise? Anybody have the garment of worship, the garment of thanksgiving? Come on, give God some praise. I'm through. Everybody stand on your feet. Clap your hands and give praise to the Lord. Give praise to God. <laughs> Hallelujah. There were two insults. Two insults. Insult number one was that those who were invited first would not come to the feast. That was an insult. Hmm. Insult number two was the man who accepted the invitation would not put on the wedding garment. In that day, you did not refuse an invitation to a wedding feast. And in that day, if you went to the wedding, you conformed. You had enough respect for the king, enough respect for the host. To put on what he provided. It was better than anything they had anyhow. But their rebelliousness, his disrespect caused him to show up saying, take me like I am and not at all. I'm going to wear what I want to wear. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to do it right up here in the middle of the wedding feast. Two insults. But then there were two wonderful provisions. First provision was the feast. It was given, it was provided by the grace and mercy of Almighty God. God is still offering that feast. Everyone who is thirsty, come by wine and milk without money and without price. Whosoever will, let him come and drink of the water of life freely. Two wonderful provisions. The feast and the second wonderful provision was a wedding garment. I've got something to put on. I've got something to protect me. I've got something that covers me in the midst of all that I face. Two wonderful benefits. Two wonderful provisions. Two terrible insults. And there were two judgments. There were judgments on those who were outside who refused to come in and there were judgments on those on the inside who acted like they were still outside as if they did not know and love the Lord. Romans seven twenty three the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life Isaiah 55 and 7, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he'll have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. If you know that the Lord is filled with abundant pardon, come on, give God a praise that he pardon you abundantly. Hallelujah. Jesus is the son, represents the groom. He was the king's son. Nobody in the kingdom could deserve getting married to him. Whoever he married, it was a step down, a more from his level. But he loved his father so much and he loved the one whom he would marry so much that he married them just the same. And this son was unusual because he was killed for his obedience to his father. He was killed as the price, the sacrifice for the sins we've committed. He was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Clap your hands everybody and give praise to God. question is only three groups here today the group who is refusing to come to the feast those who come to the feast but don't come with their full mind and heart and dedication and commitment to the Lord and there are those who came to the feast put on the wedding garment and fully surrendered their lives to the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Praise you, dear Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Those of you who are glad you came, those of you who are glad you know the Lord, give the Lord praise and give the Lord glory.